Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Market Report for week commencing 8th of May 2023, Coronation Weekend, and I hope that all goes well. I'm actually going down to London this weekend and will be there for the coronation, although I don't think I'm going to queue on the mall. I think I'll find a nice pub to stand in or something like that. That isn't the real reason I'm going to London. I'd just like to say that Henry, my youngest son, has got through to a cup final at Twickenham, so I'm actually going down there to watch him on Sunday. So we're all dead pleased about that. So well done, Henners, and let's hope you kick the winning points through the posts. Right. Podcast walk, I'm going to report back on that one. I was overwhelmingly happy to see just one person turn up because that person was a young lady called Victoria Freeman who had a very fantastic three-hour walk with me and a cup of coffee at Felbrig. I actually really enjoyed it and I don't think it was too bad for her either for what it's worth. And we're going to give her a free advert this week in the middle of the podcast. So Victoria works for Lovell Blake and she is an accountant. And you know when you talk to someone about a lot of stuff, a lot of experience I tried to pass on and just kind of how how it all works in Norfolk. And she did the thing that accountants do really well if they're going to be really good accountants. She was really discreet. You know, she's clearly very bright and just, you know, you kind of want your accountant not to tell you anything about anything you ever do. If you're not, you know, you'll discuss things as a client. But beyond that, it's all kept in. So I think she's got a very bright future in this industry. So well done, Victoria. And it's really great meeting you. What else can we talk about before we talk about the miserable market? grasping at straws to talk about anything else for what it's worth no we'll go into it old crop on everything is pretty dire we've been miserable about it for several weeks so i'm not going to run on oilseed rape is worth about 350 pounds a ton plus bonuses obviously feed barley is worth about 170 pounds a ton and there is a bit of activity on that there's not that much of it left in our area now so maybe that's about the bottom of it possibly Wheat is £180 a tonne X farm. That one, we've I'm not going to brag, but you know what we've said about that in the last few weeks. It's a lot lower, as predicted. Don't see any hope or life in that whatsoever at this point. If you think that I'm wrong, if it goes up to 185 then you know, you're a saddo. It's not going to go over £200 a tonne, I don't think. Unless we get to July, it's a very late harvest, and maybe it'll scratch up at the end. But I cannot at this moment see it. Your hopes are for bad new crop weather, which at the same time will be kicking you in the shin because your new crop will be suffering, unless that is in somewhere else in the world and not with us. So, you know, that's your only hope for a rise or some form of significant political moment, which is a possibility. And there's talk this morning that the, the firework that some young Russian sent over the top of the Kremlin was in fact a, a pretend, let's have a go at Putin, so he can then turn around and pretend they've attempted to assassinate him therefore he's going to send a ballistic missile over to take president Zelensky out let's hope they don't do that and your fears what are your fears i i guess benign new crop weather which will be helpful because you'll get a bigger crop unless it's really nice weather everywhere else and rubbish over here so that one is a double-edged sword you do benefit if the weather is good because you get a bigger yield but for the prospect of giving old crop a, a shot in the arm i'm afraid yeah not good 
And also, I, I guess the, uh, the biggest fear is it just keeps falling at this pace and there's more tonnage than we thought. I mean, everyone's estimated what's left, but it is clear that a number of farms, when clearing out their last loads, have found a load or two more at the back of the shed. So that could be a problem for prices as well. Although the person who finds two extra loads of wheat is clearly going to be a bit better off than he thought. New crop rape, 355. Nothing much to say about that. The crops up here look fab. The photo, the selfie we took on the podcast walk is myself and Victoria, which obviously I'll keep and she'll be binning. But the point is the field in the background, for those of you from Essex and Suffolk, is a full field of yellow flowers, which is a stunning view, really. And there's lots of fields like that up this way. So, yeah, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? So on to prices for wheat. Harvest delivered store, 180, 185 X farm for November. At the moment, the market is bearish. I don't think that's going to last for much longer. I think that a rally will come on the basis of the states and the, the record short or large short that the funds have got in wheat with the condition of the crop. I think they will come in and buy some of that. So I, I'm expecting a bit of support to come into new crop prices, perhaps not in the next week or two, but certainly by the end of May, I would expect prices to be at this level or slightly higher. So Sticking my neck out and saying these things is a bit of a dim thing to do at times, but it's just, you know, that is what I feel, and that's the whole point of the podcast. As for feed barley, I don't think I'd sell that. I think it's too cheap, and I think that the Spanish drought has been pretty horrendous. They're going to clearly be buying a fair bit of barley. Yeah, so I think, again, I mean, current value for harvest is something like 160x, which is pretty low. Yeah, I wouldn't be selling it. I think we'll wait and see what we've got on that one. And malting barley all over by the shouting on old crop if the weather goes wrong they might pay up and buy the last bits out but largely yeah pretty grim reading at the moment and the crop looks well in the ground so from a marketing perspective a grim old time from life is good henna's is at twickenham the king's going to be the king and yeah long live the king cheers thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours Lovewell Blake is a firm of chartered accountants and financial planners with eight offices across Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire. We have specialist agriculture and rural business advisory teams in the Aylsham, Norwich, Halesworth and Thetford offices to assist with any tax compliance and financial advice that you need. We can support your growth and expansion plans, help you plan for the future and succession and also advise on diversification projects. Please call Victoria Freeman on 01263 731 151 to discuss your requirements further or visit the website www.lovewellblake.co.uk Okay, today we've got an international visitor on our podcast. We've got Jock Wilmot, who is Farmers Weekly Awards from 2022 Arable Advisor of the Year. Welcome, Jock. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And I've also got Joe with me. Afternoon. Joe's going to be asking technical questions along the way when I lose my way, okay? Same generation as you. You You reckon? Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Anyway, so let's start. So how on earth do you end up being Arable Advisor of the Year? What does that mean? Well, I suppose it goes back to what made me come to this part of the world. Home for me was mid-Wales. You know, we moved to quite a rural little village. There wasn't a lot to do. It was all farming, lots of different farms in the village. And, you know, as you're growing up, you know, you, you earn some money and you work for different people and really sort of enjoyed working on farm. And Which county were you in? Where, where were you Well, at? Powys, near Bracken. The mm-hmm. uh, village was Langorse, famous for the lake and tourism. And it's all livestock farming. So it's quite a change of career to come to East Anglia and get involved in arable. Well, I read the uh, 
We did have a brief conversation about this, about the Brecon Beacons being called something else now. And I'm glad to hear you can't pronounce it, because I can't. I'm going to give up on that. But you were milking cows over there. And the county you moved to over here, where did you come? Were you into Norfolk? or? Where yeah, you? I mean, we did worked over here for several sort of seasons. And, you know, during college and things, worked in Warwickshire, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire, Suffolk. They didn't allow you into Norfolk? Then. I came to Norfolk briefly, <laughs> learned the phrases and... Uh, <laughs> My experience with Norfolk was never leaving Norwich by the same road more than once, I think. It was always an experience to get out of Norwich. Well, you were with the Mutimer, weren't you? So, yeah. I guess. And he, he and he's skillful driving. Yeah, he's got history, hasn't he, of that? I he think. has got previous. <laughs> I don't think we want to go into that. Yeah, but he's a pretty serious guy now, and he's chairman of the pig sector of the AHDB, is that right? Or whatever they call it. Is that? He is, he's certainly involved in them. Yeah, no, he's, he's way up there. He was actually on the Farmer's Weekly Question and Answer. Panel. I think, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. I thought he came across really well. He could straight to the point. Kind of laughed and just said, no, there's nothing like that. And just had a bit of a pop at the supermarkets in a gentle manner. Yeah. But yeah, you know, someone amongst all of the politicians that were there was cutting through the ice with some direct Rob Mutimer style. Yeah. So, you know, you got nominated. Who nominated you? Was it your mum who nominated you? Uh, no, I did ask, but no. It's anonymous. I think perhaps a couple of my clients got together and thought it'd be worth a laugh. I've been nominated before and it's just never felt the right thing to kind of do. This yeah. year felt like it was, we'll give it a shout before I get too old. Yeah, you see, I maintain that if there was such a thing as Grain Trade of the Year, I'd win it, you see. I'm that big-headed. And, uh, just the ones? No, or, just that one. Just, I think that's probably why they don't run it, because I'd win it every year and it'd be a bit boring for everybody. Yeah. There's a load of grain trainers out there, but they just, like, you know... Is it not the equivalent award, then, for? No. It'd be boring, wouldn't it, if it had the same name on there every single year? No, there's no charisma with the rest of them. They're not funny and they're not... They don't do podcasts. They're quite ugly, generally. You know, I appreciate I'm putting on a bit of weight now, but they're quite fat. There's nothing going on for them that really appeals. Mm. So some of them do podcasts or market reports or TV things and mm. that, but they don't have many listeners. <laughs> I've seen the ones on YouTube from the States, and I've listened to yours, but I wasn't aware there was any others. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No one's aware. Cause you have, no to, have to <laughs> get put yourself nominated. Yeah, so you're kind of grain trader of the year. That's like asking them to be Sheriff of Nottingham of the year, isn't it? It's like we're the baddies, grain merchants. Anyway. Enough of that. So, you know, it's very trendy. Series rural now is very trendy, isn't it? You got, is it? You got, yeah, you, you got heard? Charlie from, you know, Clarkson's Farm. Very famous. Where's the G? Like, got the logo on yeah. there. Everybody wants to know some of that. He must be the most, you know, sought-after man because he knows Jeremy Clarkson, isn't it? He, sorry about Charlie. He doesn't ever really say much. He's very professional. doesn't say a lot about people he works for. But Charlie had to take his mobile number off the website because it was just getting too many calls. And he had 84,000, 85,000 requests on Instagram. So... He's had to take yeah. himself off that as well. So Has he got himself an agent now? He hasn't got himself an agent. He's just got to be pretty careful about what he does. So Yeah, it must be very strange for him. But, I mean, for your business... For a start-up business, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, it, it couldn't it, be better. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're obviously pretty respectful for who we work for. But, yeah, he couldn't ask for a better start. So how long have Series been? Two years. Started trading 1st of March. So we yeah. just had our two-year anniversary. Okay. And going well? Going you? absolutely really well. We're really lucky. We've been sort of well-supported. We've been sort of in charge of our own social media and marketing, which Head and his wife do for us. And, you know, it's just gone really well. Other firms seem to be struggling to get good people in. We haven't struggled a bit. Part of that is being new. Part of it, I think, is, you know, the direction and the sort of the openness and the willingness to employ young folk and give them a... So this is land agent in a... This is not land agent. We're a farming team. We're breaking the mould from being land agents. We do farming. We're not involved necessarily in landlord tenant stuff. It's about... Making future farming businesses resilient, and that's about production, which is a bit I fit into with all sorts of other things from schemes to 
you know, just making that rural asset sweat that bit harder. So with that in mind, this is the biggest competition to our industry is, you know, the money they're going to be paid for doing nothing on light land, really poor producing farms. I had a conversation with a colleague of mine or a fellow merchant, Matthew Adams from Adams and Hanley. We had a chat about this last night and he feels the biggest threat is these farms can just go, well, we'll take the, is it, what is it, 600 odd pounds a hectare or something for? Yeah, it can be for those options, yeah. And I mean, if you've got light land with poor, you know, if it keeps getting hotter and it doesn't have rain like this spring, you don't get any crop, you don't get any yield, you don't get any profit, you make a loss and you do lots of work to do it. So are you asking or suggesting to many people to look at that or how does that work? It's, it's very specific to the, sort of the farm and the location. One of the things is, you know, the next Monday, 15th, is the last time we're going to have to put in a basic payment form and then the system ends. By 2027, this is the last payment. 28, you know, we haven't got a payment anymore. Elms and stewardship. Stewardship seems to have sorted itself out, but we had stewardship all along, so nothing's changed on that front. Elms is the one that we're looking towards to sort of give farmers a leg up and... It's not going to replace BPS. It's not designed to. But, you know, we're hoping that's going to lead the way in sort of suppose inspiring, I suppose is the right word, or at least showing us how we can sort of keep making money from farming. At the minute, that seems to be pretty underwhelmed in terms of its reception from farms. And you, as you boys both know, you know, the volatility and the cash requirement to run farms at the minute is huge. So if you're not into it, if your land isn't great, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to put some of it into something that you know is going to be paid for. In well, the, the dynamic of, of the price dropping like it has done the last week, you know, it's down sub well below £200 a tonne on new crop feed wheat now. Yeah. It got as low as 175 for November wheat, which sounds, you know, that's half the price it was yeah. less than 12 months ago. So the decision becomes much more clear, if you like, because if you're going to get two and a half quarter tons or two and a half tons an acre of something you're ploughing fertiliser on and you're burning oil to achieve, there isn't going to be a profit in it. So let's just flog the machinery, keep the land, it'll gain an asset eventually. For some people, that's going to be the right thing for them to do. And there will be a bit of flexibility, perhaps with Elms, to put stuff into the scheme. And, you know, it's only a three-year deal, so you can put stuff in and perhaps take stuff out, which is a bit more flexible. But you obviously... Is irrigation an option in that? Can they do something? Essentially, we want to be keeping farms productive and producing things. You know, I'm, I feel pretty strongly that, you know, we want to be eating food that's produced in the UK. And, you know, we want to be using the land for public good, which is producing food, a large chunk of it. You know, we can't eat birds or we can't, you know, we can't get sort of fat off necessarily some of this conservation-based payments. But it is important to do that. And for some people, it will be the right approach. And I think that's what we will see. I mean, the other thing that, you know, you look around and you think, what well, is a big threat to farming? I think it is the enthusiasm for, you know, a, a generations to carry on and do it. You know, it is getting tougher. There's still generations that want to produce a crop, but I mean, nobody's foolish enough to keep doing that and continually making a loss. And where well, do we look to for the solutions to that? You know, that's so several farming offspring, children, have actually opted not to come to the farm, haven't they? They've gone and found a job and done something else and found they're earning a decent salary and then they have the conversation what are we going to do with the family farm lad or lass um and they go uh right well you know okay i'll I'll come and live in that cottage down there and what will i be earning then oh you know (laughs) 10 grand a year lad sort of thing you know oh i might live for free a bit here and there but largely you're going to take a massive pay cut to what ends and there's other brothers and sisters who are out there working and earning more money than and the dynamic of that's not fair, you know, why is he going to inherit all that? Why, you know, hang on a minute, he gave up his career to come back and keep it in the family. 
you've been earning lots more money for lots of years, now you're coming back. It, all of those troubles begin when you actually get someone to say, look, do we want to keep this as a family farm or are we going to sell it all? And it's that hideous question that kind of leads to someone having to give up a career to come back or, you know, so choosing to be a farmer for future generations is more complex because they have more choices. Lots of people years ago from my age group, everyone knew who the farm was going to be and they kind of knew that's where it's going to go and that's the end of that. So they ceased to try at school and messed about a bit and, <laughs> you know, pulled people's hats off and threw them over the hedge and things like that and knowing full well they'd be employed. But the reality is it isn't like that anymore. You're right, is it? Mm. So you're going to get... I guess. And it does a lot of work come from people who own land who can't farm, who you then have to get... Yeah, there's bits of that, probably not as much as we were used to. Most of the people we work with are farmers and producers first and foremost, but we live in an area where there's a lot more opportunity for the rural asset. You know, we all joke about in Norfolk when you want to rent something, it's to another farmer, but you sort of, you get south Ipswich through to Oxford on that sort of line of latitude. There's a massive opportunity to do lots of other things and one of the things you know, we've been doing um, lots of farm visits and going out and seeing lots of different farms and explaining to them what's happening with basic payment and what the future looks like as it stands at the minute. And a lot of this conversation is about, you know, what else can replace it? And, you know, the schemes are in that, but it's mostly about, you know, what can we do with that corner of the field? What can we do with the yard? What can we do with the house? What can we do with, you know, parents, the place? You know, what about buying this, buying that? And, you know, that is a great opportunity for families and for businesses. But, you know, you guys want to trade grain. I want to get farmers producing crop. And, you know, it's not going to be the same amount going forward. There's going to be less grain. There's going to be less grain and we're going to be fighting harder for it. And there'll be certain commodities that will become tighter. You know, if the lighter land goes into solar or into something else, you know, that's traditionally barley land in lots of cases. That's a lot less malting barley out there Mm. by definition. Where do you see energy crop growing then in this part of the world? Do you think there's going to be more of it? And there's ambitious plans to put more... Yeah, yeah, digesters definitely. in. Yeah, by energy crop, you mean maize, yeah. isn't it? Um, well, they've come and they've gone. I'm not so convinced by that. I see that as uh, you put two in and you get two out, and it isn't actually going anywhere. All you're doing is taking out, you know, food producing land. Yes, you are producing energy and gas and so on, electricity, but you've burnt a whole lot of rubber and diesel to achieve the thing. And, the, you know, I think I see more going to solar. And more going to deals with firms that allow someone to fly to America on the basis of having a field put down to them as being their carbon sequestration job. I just see this crazy mixed up, no one really knows what is truly carbon saving or negative or positive. You know, that no one really can quantify that. Everyone's grasping for the golden, aha, this is how it all works. And I can prove it and therefore this is worth this much money. And everybody, every company, every big company is desperately trying to prove they're greener than green, which is, in the end, mostly bollocks. That's my view. What do you say to that? I don't even call carbon bollocks. No, uh, carbon exists, it's, but it's pretending that you're yeah, neutral. But, but there's a responsibility attached to it. Don't get me wrong. It's tedious, isn't it? There's a lot talked about it. And you want something that you can action and you want something that's in your hand. You want something to aim for. You want a plan. And we're not still quite at that stage, it feels, for mainstream. You know, we've done work for, you know, some purchases of grain, for example, who are interested in, you know, what their suppliers are in terms of their carbon footprint. And Yeah. No, know. we're very involved with that. We've got yeah. a project that we're doing at the moment, which is very, it's exciting. And you can see a tangible logic to what this particular project's mm-hmm. doing. However, you can also smell in the background a load of really large companies who kind of want to almost own it before people are ready to understand what they're selling. Yeah. And monetizing it 
you feel like early doors, whoever goes in early is going to be wrong on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think most folk are hard, sort of mm. hanging back and seeing what comes of them. Yeah. But the principle of, you know, net zero and, you know, if we can control what or the cost of crop production or, you know, carbon that goes into what we're doing, if we can get a better handle on that, then it should be win-win. The trouble is, it's, you know, there's where are we going with that, where are we leading? It's at the moment, carbon is about organic matter and how you test the soil and where you are with the organic matter level when you do it and that has a positive or negative effect on your carbon balance which has obviously got to be tightened up and improved on it's coming how we deal with it i think it's pretty tough and in the end someone's going to have to say it's far better to plant grass or far better to plant trees or it's far better just let it rewild and have brambles quantifiably there must be enough experiments going on or observations of data as to which is the most efficient way of absorbing carbon in today's world. And at the moment, there's people arguing a toss about that, about what the right way to go. And if it's suddenly planting a certain type of tree, for example, and I've got nothing in mind with that, and so everyone goes, okay, off we go. We're all going to plant these trees, and we're going to get paid this much for the carbon on top of our 600 quid for sitting on our hands, or whatever it is. That's going to be money in our pocket. We get rid of all the men, get rid of all the machines, keep the land, keep the value of it. We'll have a nice forest. And what's more, you know, we're being paid this amount of money because someone said it's the right thing to do. But you've displaced a whole load of birds who can't any longer nest in fields because the fields don't exist. You've oosted a whole load of ecosystems and stuff because these trees don't suit certain types of things. All of a sudden, you've got a massive counter-argument that says, what the hell are you doing? You're ruining our countryside by putting this monotonous tree in the place because it saves carbon. But what's gone in its place? There's confusion. Is You won't have the answer to that, but you're somehow going to be the person they're asking, aren't they? It'd be me or generations after me, I think, yeah. I think it is confused. We are seeing people wanting to put more woodland in. It's not necessarily in our patch, but it's It might not be woodland. It might be grass. It might be in Scotland. The secret answer might be, I don't know, goodness knows, Brussels sprouts, whatever it is. Wheat, hopefully. Yeah, well, that would be great, wouldn't it? This is a bit off-field, but I mean, I came across a company that is actually looking to... The emissions out of a vehicle of some, you know, either diesel or petrol or whatever, is actually looking to be able to neutralise that output significantly to such a point where they actually aren't able to measure any carbon coming out of it anymore. And, and that technology is being developed in this country. It seems to be coming along very quickly, but it's where it is, I don't know. But the thing is... It seems like sometimes the world is chasing what they think is the direction they need to chase into, and that's their goal. But sometimes, before we know it, there is already some solution to that. And you've been putting all this power into that, but actually, is it looking at the way that you're producing it, obviously, and reducing the carbon, obviously, reducing the emissions and things. You talk about some farming and, obviously, equipment that's been depowered because of, obviously, the emission levels, so they obviously can't run as efficiently. Um, or to be known and so you're constantly fighting that battle at the same time as actually what you probably need to be or we as a society need to be looking at other ways obviously then trying to minimize that output of carbon so we're trying to obviously look at net zero but is net zero coming from doing that or is it actually looking at some other way of doing it so we seem to be all focused on you know this balances that out and this covers this but in actual fact there might be another alternative as well yeah, and it's going to be looking at all angles and all options, isn't it, to use less carbon coming in and produce less in that process. Fact is, it's still infancy, really, but it's going to come and it's going to affect, you know, the next 10 years, 20 years of how we do things. So do you have someone in your team who specifically looks at that and then briefs everybody and someone who looks at these on top of seeds, developments, you know, new varieties, 
How does your business work? Do you all keep abreast of everything or do you have a structure where you go, yeah, that? There's, uh, there's very much you know, people who have a natural interest in a particular avenue. Some people, you know, ecology and migrate to schemes and putting that together for conservation benefit. Others are interested in carbon. A lot of the youngsters coming in there want to see all of it. Carbon is clearly something that's going to rock the future, you know, and then we've got to marry that up with what the majority of our clients want, which is, you know, profitable farm business based on the traditional way of you know, producing crops. And what's your favourite subject then? I'm production. My background, my whole being is about trying to inspire people to produce things more efficiently. And do you look at the end product? So if you go to a farm and he grows, he could grow milling wheat, he could grow feed yeah. wheat, you look at the premium milling wheat, you look at the cost of Absolutely. Growth, and you'll say, Absolutely. and your location, it's not just difficult to get high protein in this part of the world, it's a very long way to a flour mill, yeah. so it isn't high on our agenda. But, you know, much more local to a mill. You question people, you know, if they just, I grow feed wheat, that's it. Have you thought about growing milling wheat with a £60 premium? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, we... You know, we get involved in choosing the right varieties, setting the nitrogen regime, monitoring that through the season, making sure it stands up, making sure, you know, as, as best we can, get it to a spec that is achievable to sell. And against that, you know, you try and put it into a rotation of what will give you that, you know, wheat's still the cornerstone in most of the arable rotation. We haven't got roots. You know, what's going to get us to achieve that reasonable wheat yield? And the other end of that is, you know, we've got on most farms as corners and parts of the farm or parts of a contract farm, for example, that aren't going to achieve those sort of things, as you were suggesting. So on one hand, we have this is what this is going to net you over five year versus, you know, this is with a scheme and it's blending the two together is where the skill is. So is there a magic break crop going to replace all the rape? Nothing at all. Because your office, Saffron Walden, is yeah. in the middle of Nothing. the... No, we've been pulling up, you know, yeah. last six weeks, which is unheard of. It's soul destroying. It's terrible. Um, it is really bad. I couldn't agree more. It's, yeah, uh, but it is very localized. I don't know what it's like in this part of the world. You know, you kind of feel it's... South Norfolk, it's Suffolk better. has got troubles and Essex yeah. has got real trouble. It's a mess. Up here, there's a picture of me at the doing podcast walk and only one person turned up. This poor girl turned up. She'd been told she had to come, I reckon. Anyway, so I, she said, oh, oh, well, you know, are you still going to go? I said, of course I am. I've committed to going. I don't care, I've said all along, I don't care if I go on my own or not. Anyway, so you go up, I'm walking along with a very lovely young woman. It's great, it's for me, and it? she's like bored out of her head. But we're walking, and we get to the middle of a rape field, and I say, well, we'll do a selfie, and uh, we're in, in a rape field. Now, you take the picture, and you have a look at the picture, and you don't think, oh, well, you know, that's a nice picture. I look at the rape behind my head and think, I really could take the piss out of Suffolk and Essex farmers mm-hmm. like with this is how you grow a rape crop, boys, but I've already done it now on the podcast on this one. But yeah, it is truly we are blessed at the moment in this coastal strip yeah. with a great crop. Yeah. I don't think the price is going to go through the roof though, because we can import Ukrainian or Polish neonicoside sprayed oilseed rape into the UK with no penalty because we're, you know, numb nuts really. We adhere to rules and other people don't have to do it and we can just import cheap ones. So the price isn't going to zoom up even if there's a shortage, I don't think. Mm which is kind of another one of the great ironic shames of where we're at as a country. But it, you know, at least you've still got it with an option, all right? It's in up here. sugar beet rotations. Yeah, but it's, we've got to find something else, haven't we? I mean, yeah. there's going to be oats coming in with this new plant that's going to be sort of monopolised by Frontier, but they're going to have a great big oat as a break crop. And they've also got here rape, which is another monopoly, which is a fantastic price. So there is going to be a number of break crops that they're supplying, which will give 100%, will break things up, but it's going to give a whole lot of customers to mm. to the dark ones. Mm. You don't have to say yes or no to that's my <laughs> bit, bitter and twist. And they... People have bidden down the oats route. You know, we tried oats, and you know, they fit on a proportion of a rotation on heavy land. They're not going to get overdone, because I think it's just not a crop that you can do a lot of, you know. 
But that plant is going to take a fair few tons. Where are they going to get it from? If they're hoping to sort of get it out of Cambridgeshire, Bedfordshire, Northamptonshire, I think it's going to have to be priced pretty well. People have done oats, and people are comfortable doing the oats they're doing. To grow more oats, obviously, it's got to take up something else. And the legacy of oats is that, you know, they leave a lot of, you know, you can't control any of the grass weeds in them. So, you know, once... So black grass still sits there. That's awful. Black grass and brome, you know, you're, you're back to doing, you know, a bit more intensive cultivation if you're going to grow oats, either before or after. So you tend to see oats on farm for sort of three, four years, and then the interest in them starts to wane a little bit. Well, sugar beet's back on the up over here now because Price, yeah. well, they, they ended up with a scheme which encouraged people to plant them, didn't they? Because they, people had dropped them. They'd not been paid mm. enough money and, and so on. But they had one where you could plant as many eggs as you like and <laughs> get them in September and they'll give you X amount of money or That's something, it. which is not going to work, is it? Because they've ended up planting them really late. They're so short of sugar. I mean, they're going to have to take it. I mean, it might well be if we have, you know, a wettish sort of time. I mean, who knows where it's going to be end of May, June. But, you know, it might well be they'll get off to a reasonable start. But they're not going to be big beat come September when they want them out. No, they're going to be parsnips. Mm. Mind you, we're having plenty of rain. This is actually, for a change, this could be a completely different weather pattern, couldn't it? Yeah. If it kept growing continuously all the way through with moisture... It might actually work by... Uh, but beet is similar to... I mean, you know, you're involved in every day up here, but, you know, beet is turning a bit of a basket case like sugar beet. It's not like uh, also rape. It's not the reliable stalwart of a rotation it used to be. No. You know, with the moth and virus and things like this. It's just variable. Yeah, and the just... lows are, you know, that some people have experienced have been really, really bad. Yeah, and we're all looking at beans and we're all looking at dried peas and we're all looking at something that's going to give us that break just to keep the soil in condition, just to give it that first wheat yield and mm. just to... And we're struggling, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, you think of the amount of winter barley's sort of grown to spread the wheat apart and, you know, as an entry to rape. Well, without the rape, not such a big desire no, to grow that. No, there isn't. No, if we get an open autumn and we haven't... You, do you know what? Well, last mm. autumn was pretty massive on wheat, wasn't it? Yeah. And at the moment, I guess, I mean, you're walking around fields with these boys... What sort of crop have we got coming our way? Generally good. I mean, we're all a bit concerned about the disease, but crops went into the autumn, you know, in dry conditions. You know, the soil was moved really well. Crops generally have rooted really well. So they got off to a fabulous start. Generally, we've been up to date with nitrogen. And then March happened where we had a lot of rain. It affected, obviously, the plant and the spring crops. Some of the stuff that went in it doesn't look great. You know, when you look in some wheat fields, you know, there's obviously where water's been lying and the crops have gone back. But in the main... It's looking pretty good. I think you said on the last podcast you worried about sunlight levels, and that's a you know we've got big canopies. You know, there are going to be a lot of ears that have got to fill, and that's going to rely on June sunshine, like we had. You know, last year got us out of trouble big time. Well, this weekend's not going to be that bright. Is no, it? next week's not great. You know, we've got flag leaf, and you comment about you know early harvest or not. It's flag leaf out today. I found this morning on you know light land wheat, and we're not near the coast. We're in you know middle of Bedfordshire, for example. You know, there's light land barley with the ears out. Eight weeks here to shear. Yes, 10 weeks, really. <laughs> it's, it's 10. And we saw some from Suffolk. Ollie, our colleague, took a picture of some from Suffolk. So I haven't seen any yet. I haven't actually seen any in here. So it's going to be middle of July, which is a normal time to harvest. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to be early, but no, who knows? No way. No, it won't. It won't be early. It won't. You've got 10 days of wet, sort of temperate weather, for sure, mm. which takes us well into mid-May. So you then, you know, even if you had heat after heat after heat, it would struggle to get mm. through the stages and ripe by the 1st of July, let's put it mm. that way. So, so just go back, I mean, spring beans are probably on the wane a little bit with the springs we've had, you know, reliably it's probably winter beans have taken a bit of a share of that. Oats will make a bit of a share of where the rape is, but we are struggling and natural fit for some of these stewardship options are sort of the overwinter stubbles and they fit in. So what do they do? They just put winter stubbles in and then... 
you either get, you know, you can do it with the spring crops. You can put that in and then put a spring crop in or you leave it extended over winter. And so you lay it. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not great, but. No, it's not Why? great, but it's strategically. I mean, the other alternative is get animals back on them and have a rotation around with grass. Yes, uh, we struggle to recruit. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Norfolk with probably got a bit more background of pig and poultry, for example. But, you know, we struggle to recruit full-time arable operators in yeah. an arable area, you know, to get guys to come over and do livestock. They've either got to come from the west or the north. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they tend to drift back that way. So you don't have anybody for a long time. No. The regen fits, yeah, the model fits a little better further west. So, for example, our Oxford office where Charlie and George are, they have slightly thinner soil, probably more exposure to livestock and, and mixed farming. And that's where you, you tend to see that a bit more inclusive. But it does, the model fits, doesn't it? But you, you're right, people have got used to not having any form of like hard work every day, which animals <laughs> give you. No, they do, don't they? And let's be brittle. I mean, your mate Rob with his pigs, works crazy hours, does lots and lots of work within his team, at the very least, even if he's having his feet up, which is, I doubt. But anyone who chose animals as the way to make a living versus arable is like, you know, nuts, really, because the arable boys, without any animals, Mm. have several days to think about what to do next, don't they? They always get upset. Yeah, so, you know, that concept of bringing livestock into, you know, broadacre arable farms is a long way off. You know, I can't see that happening. Obviously, we need the mark. We need the benefits of that. But I think an enterprising youth. Sorry, there are and there are an but enterprising if, youth who's an animal person said, right, you know, I'll rent your land for one year. Few and, you put the grass down. They're few and far between for the reasons you said. You know, they probably want a full time job, and the flying sheep flock or beef, which isn't really going on, is mostly sheep. Is the sort of the side enterprise stewardship and in increasing amounts of stewardship and the requirement to do something other than sort of cut it with a flail might increase that. But it's not a real thing at the minute. Just sort of like touching on the talking about the age thing and our generation and Andrew's generation and things, the way farming has been for so many years and looking at a new generation of people coming through. And for you as a company, to some extent, you're, I suppose, hopefully you're in a great place to be able to have a blank canvas to look at new people coming through, what universities, what colleges they're coming through. You know, you're at Harper and the way things were done and the way things were sort of set out in an educational point of view how farming is and how it's now evolving and we're talking about obviously the benefits and you're saying it's many years away but are you seeing anything from young people coming through to you to look for work experience do you think you'll are you looking for those people that have that break away from the norm yeah, very much so i mean you've got to have that ability to challenge and don't just necessarily follow the the convention because it is the convention you know the future is going to call for different ways of, of thinking and doing the job you know we've got to be resourceful we're not going to have the same perhaps a level of support going forward so you know, people have got to be more entrepreneurial with what they're doing and i think that does come through it comes through with sort of younger generation of farmers guys who come back to the farm for example who haven't had an experience of 20 years of doing it this way and can't wait to get their hands you know they come with a fresh canvas now mm. that's most noticeably coming with like a regen hat on at the minute which is driving a different way of farming more environmental way of farming and that is itself the younger generation of advisor is you know, far more attuned to that. So what's than, your youngest person? Who's the youngest in the squad? Yeah, they're about 23, 24. That's yeah. pretty wet behind the ears, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And do you allow them to say sensible stuff or stupid yeah, yeah, stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You know, these guys are all pretty bright people. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. You know, you've got to give them the opportunity to say be, out loud yeah, be commercial about it. You have less issue with that where, you know, these guys are bright. 
So who picks, who picks the people? Have you got a senior guy who goes right? We've got a graduate placement scheme involved and then, you know, where your recruitment's like, but it's always easier to recruit when you're not desperate to fill a position. So we know enough people that we're out there that when the right person sort of comes along, you know, we can make a job for always, them. Always, that's the way. Don't yeah. get to yeah. the point where you really need. Yeah. If someone walks past a door that you don't need and they're brilliant, take them. Yeah. So, a bit like Joe. That's what happened with Joe. Honestly, sat down at a dinner, there he was, and it was like, that wasn't it. There was no planning. Yeah, that was uh, you know an opportunity just sat there chatting away, and you know things things appear, and you walk through that door. Yeah, we've got we you know we've got to grow our you know we want to grow our business. We've got to grow our business, otherwise we sort of go backwards. And the only way you do it is with with good people in this job, people that can be client facing. And well, you're only two years old, so you you got a little bit of people are sussing out. I guess most of you, well, obviously, clearly you had uh, some accounts that traded with the guys before because you it was a it was a big move at once. But you got a very young business, which kind of frees you up, as the same as we are. We're still relatively young. We're still relatively free to do stuff like podcasts. You know, if you were with a major organization, you'd have to think very hard about your podcast. Think very hard about what's said on each one, if you did one. Because you have to be political, you have to be strategic, and you have to be... I don't know what you have to be, but as far as we're concerned, we still feel young and sort of fresh enough to be loose with it and have just conversations that we don't it's play. Very, you know, it's organic, isn't it? You're showing your personality and what it means to you and your business to support the people you trade with. And that's what well, and you bring in people like yourself who, you know, you clearly have achieved something pretty major. You played it down. You're very, very modest. You know, if I was, if I was allowed to be Grain Trader <laughs> of the Year, I'd have a great big badge and a flag. I'd be running on about it forever. 2022, you know, Grain Trade of the Year. I'm sure it wouldn't take you long for your customers and clients to square you up, though, Andrew. I don't mind, though. So <laughs> they've had great fun playing the leg. Chuck, they're so happy with us. We never put a foot wrong. It's like <laughs> doddle. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what's your ambition? What, are you, what happens to you next? You develop a customer base, you become very established, or what? Yeah, look, we want to grow our business, and part of what we want to do is leave a legacy to a generation that's coming up behind us. So we've just made, I think, another six, seven new partners, which are all sort of mid-twenties that are you know starting their way in life so we can leave them in charge of a business hopefully that at the end of the day they can take some perhaps some equity out of it and you know they feel like they're building to something it's not just you know passing through journeyman on a career of going from consultancy company to consultancy company to consultancy company yeah you're not one of these sad kids who's like planning to retire at 50 by putting everything right until that moment then go and play golf are you i'm not a golfer no no no. so what are you going to do you're going to you don't know when you're going to retire no we don't you're too full of ideas and you're too full of youth and vigor at the moment but there's a so there is no there's a kind of misty i'm going to keep doing this forever no we're not but i mean you know you got to pay the mortgage and keep going for a bit longer so no no, absolutely yeah Yeah. but it's i maintain that you know i that you blink and you i'm 61 right two minutes ago i was your age and one minute before then i was 21 you know it's gone, but it still hasn't, because I still don't have a particular plan about it. I still feel enthusiastic, and, you know, this is great. I'm enjoying it. This is the real key, isn't it, I think? I'm assuming by the fact you don't win things unless you enjoy them. Of course. You don't just swat away, because no, you'd be, you'd be boring the, when the judges come round. But, you know, every year the clock starts again, and, you know, we want to do a, a better job and challenge yourself, and it's yeah. the same for yourself. Yeah, every year the clock does start. Yeah. Every year you there's know, a harvest. Every year they've got yeah, to do the right you know, thing. You're only as good as your sort of last phone call. Exactly, your last, last trade. Yeah, the yeah. last person you spoke to and you know the slate gets wiped clean and yeah you know the job don't, isn't don't it, we job know it doesn't feel like it's getting particularly easier and i'm sure that happens to every generation climate seems to be difficult living with that seems to be you know we seem to be making a lot more decisions on you know calls on the cuff 
because you know you're just trying to react to what you think is coming yeah. you know, you're trying to protect the crop you know like you say no two weeks you know 10 days of wet weather you know we've been out this morning trying to see what we can get done so you know we're sort of trying to future proof it there's a lot more of that a lot more sort of um being sort of flexible about it and um well listen the market was going down quite happily today four four euros down dumping out and then somebody flew a drone over the top of the um, in Moscow, didn't it? Yeah. The Gremlin, and they shot it down dramatically. And next thing you know, you know, there's a complete reversal in price, and it goes up. My goodness, what? Which kid was flying their Christmas drone over the Kremlin or whatever? But it probably was the Ukrainians. But those things, oh, it's a daily little hiccup, and tomorrow will be back to normal again. But yeah, you've got to have your eyes open to any eventuality, and some of those eventualities are quite grim looking. So. But the weather in particular is the... It's going to provide th- you know, threats and opportunities, is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's how, how we all sort of manage it. Our, thank our goodness we're a maritime climate, that's all I'll say. I think our water skills will be greater and we will have enough moisture to get by. But it, mm. it's going to take it some infrastructure thinking and some freedom on planning, I think. Anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up there. It's been fascinating talking to you. I can see, you know, you're so calm and sensible that's why you you know you, you wow the judges you're with not gonna... <laughs> so no we'll have I, a beer when's the customary beer that you guys all have well that's a very good point we were out we got some ones that you wouldn't like so we can go in the pub afterwards and have a swifty down there but we won't record that so just take it from me we'll go and buy you a beer down the road we'll give you the new doing grain pen we now present with the doing grain pen which really? is yeah is that... it's not that classy is it, not? it says doing grain on it which makes it classy all right so you can just carry that around with you and they'll go oh, i can't believe it and you've got to tell everyone about your podcast, obviously. Get it around the world. But yeah, we'll go down the Black Boys and have a Swifty, which I'm sure you've been in before with Rob. Yeah, so, well, appreciate that. Jock, thank you so much for coming up and appearing on the world-famous Doing Grain podcast. Pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers. Thank you, Joe. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio, a full-service creative agency specialising in websites, digital marketing and branding. Get in touch to inquire with their friendly team on info at uk.